the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Should churches use research? And later, we're joined by Pastor Chris Castaldo to talk about the Beatitudes in this historical moment. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. Thrilled that you're with us today. If you've missed any of our show, we'd love to invite you to go back and catch up on the old podcast. The podcast. Wherever it is you cast those pods, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We also love engaging with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on the apps. Okay, Brian, we, in fact, later on in today's show, we're going to share some of Carrie Newhoff's data. But as... As at least people on the radio, we're often looking at Barna research, Lifeway research, right. Carrie Newhoff research. Do you do that much as a church no. or in your pastoring? No. If I see interesting stuff, it's usually out of the show where we're talking about it. If I do interesting stuff, see interesting stuff it, that fits in a sermon, I might put it in there. But I'm not, I'm not doing a lot of surveying of my own people. Yeah. I'm not doing a lot yeah. of thinking about what are the trends. It might be helpful, but I... I don't think so. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is that an intentional decision for no. you or just sort of like you just don't get around to it because you got other stuff to do? Um, I guess it comes down to what would it look like? Am mm-hmm. I am I just researching my own congregation? Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm trying to see? Am I trying to understand trends of, you know, generations or whatever else it might be? Yeah, I don't I don't have a great answer for you other than I don't give that much thought, I don't think. So, I have had in the past a couple past couple months, two um, church leaders basically say that we are, the church is worse off because we've looked to Newhoff's research, Barna's research, Lifeway research, rather than just, in in their minds, rather than just trusting kind of the Holy Spirit's work in our neighborhood and amongst our people. How would this play out? Like, why are they? Yeah, so I think that's kind of what I wanted to talk about and figure out a little bit with you. Because I've always seen, like, the research as helpful, but maybe you don't necessarily, like, make a whole decision based on the research. But it gives you information. But what they're saying is kind of what we've done is... um, maybe quantify something that's supposed to be more mysterious and organic and wild, or we're trying to put structures and boundaries around movements of God. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit, I don't know that they would go so far as to say it's not trusting God, but it's almost like measuring something that ought not to be measured. Mm. I haven't really thought about that. I I would, (coughs) excuse me, I would lean back on knowledge is power. Mm -hmm. So, the more knowledge I can have. Now I get it. Maybe as churches, we don't make every decision based on, you know, if I, the data says this and, you know, plug it in, it makes me think of baseball right now. A lot of people think that baseball is too analytical is driven too much by analytics where people Mm. are busting numbers and going, okay, now we make this decision. You know, not everything is going to be in a church. Like, well, if we do this, then the data shows us the church will grow or people this, but I think you also want to know what are the trends, 
What are your people feeling? You know, what are yeah. what's the description? I I, I th- as somebody who hasn't used it, I guess I'm still standing up for them and going, yeah, but it seems to make sense. It, it seems to be like a little bit helpful. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me ask you another question, kind of in the same vein, because I had a I had a similar conversation with these people, also sort of saying church. Uh, what's the uh, the best word? Strategy, perhaps, is um. You know, you've heard people say this. It's like you're running the church like a business instead of like a church, right? Yeah. So if you take strategy from culture, strategy from business, uh, strategy from like leadership books, um, similar to like the data from some of this research, then again, you're putting something on the church that's not meant to be on the church. Yeah, I guess in this for me is if you're only reading leadership books and never praying, if you're making all yeah. decisions in your elder board by what does the latest leadership data tell you to do, that's yeah. probably problematic. You're uh, you're not thinking in terms again of how does um, you know what's the role of the Holy Spirit yeah. here? And what's this? But if I could be like, you know what? I'm prayerful and I'm informed. Mm-hmm. I think that seems like a good thing to me. Like it seems like. I don't know why, what the downfall is of it. Yeah, maybe I, maybe the people you're talking to don't think you can do both, but I think you can do I both. I think you might be able to do both, too. Okay, here's another kind of along the same line of thinking. Um, I this One of the books that I'm uh, listening to right now on Audible is called Rare Leadership, and it's about the difference between being a manager and being a leader. And what they talk about is how most churches... People go to churches and they'll be like, what are your structures and your strategies? What are your processes for whatever, for hiring, for accountability, for meeting with your staff, for meeting goals? And what this book is suggesting is that that's managerial work Mm. and doesn't allow leaders to be leaders. This is actually a brain scientist saying that it's a different part of the brain. If you have a good leader, that good leader might inspire some systems and processes that will come, but that you shouldn't start there. You start with like big picture, helping people understand who God created them to be, helping them feel like they belong. And then the other things follow. Mm. What are your thoughts about that as a church leader? I think we're all wired in various ways, right? Like you've been around leaders who are really good. You've been around pastors who are just, they breathe leaders. Totally. and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Like yeah. that's not a bad thing. Right. I do think it becomes problematic when it's all about the latest leadership principles. So we talked about this with the mega churches, especially where mm-hmm. it's like there was a time, and maybe it's still going on, but like the church could learn its best from being like Fortune 500 companies. Right. That's I think taking away from what does the church do at its core, what's its purpose what's versus a five, right, versus yeah. a fortune five, what role does the Holy Spirit play? Uh, but also I want to grow as a leader. I want to, I, I don't want to be like, well, whatever God, you know, yeah, you do want to learn like, some of the lazy. wisdom that's out yeah, there, right? Yeah. yeah. I think you're probably right. There has to be some spirit infused, spirit infused leadership. Absolutely. In community with the people in your church and a willingness to learn from like, the best practices that are out there and, yeah. and determine contextually what works for the church and what doesn't. I, I, I'm, I'm interested in this data research thing, going back to should churches use research? Cause I, 
I think you're right. If you're only using research and not prayer, then that's problematic. Yeah. And if you're only praying, I don't think that's problematic. But if you are praying and also learning what's happening culturally in the trends, yeah. I think both could be really helpful as I a good do. partnership. I, I think they're both. I'm not. I guess I would put it this way. I don't see research and data at odds with prayer. Interesting. I don't see those yeah. things as, you know, one works against the mm-hmm. other. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think you could learn leadership principles. You can listen to, you know, John Maxwell and Malcolm yeah. Gladwell and others yeah. and grow as a leader. And at the same time go, I know the engine behind this is going to be prayer. And so we're going to yeah. pray and pray and pray. Yeah. I think that I think both. I think they go hand in hand, actually. Yeah, I, I don't think everybody thinks that way, though, Brian. It's I think there are some people that think, no, this is causing more damage than good. But we're going to talk about some Carrie Newhoff data later, so we'll uh, we'll find out what we think. All right, coming up next, we are joined by Pastor Chris Castaldo. He is uh, talking about why we need the Beatitudes in this historical moment in particular, it's going to be a fascinating conversation with Pastor Chris when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. And we are thrilled to be joined by Dr. Chris Castaldo. He's the pastor of New Covenant Church in Naperville and the author of a new book on the Beatitudes called The Upside Down Kingdom. So excited to talk about wisdom for life from the Beatitudes with Dr. Chris. Chris, thanks for being here with us today. Thanks, Aubrey. Great to be with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Okay, so fun little background for our people. Apparently, back in the day, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins would record the Common Good in At your times. basement. Yes, of the church. Yes, the basement of the church. So that's that's very special that you're here. All right, but yep, Chris, we miss them very much. <laughs> you're lamenting as a church community uh-huh. over the loss of Brian and Ian. I know. Um, Chris, talk to us about why you decided to write this book and why right now in particular. Yeah, as you mentioned, I serve as a pastor in Naperville. The last three years have been difficult for pastors, mm-hmm. as you know. Someone has said pastoral ministry is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can absorb. <laughs> uh, the last three years have had a, a rather thin absorption rate. So, yes. yes. In the midst of all of that, trying to understand what faithfulness looks like, and I was reading the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, and there I found the solvent for my fear and discouragement. So it led to a preaching series that in due course became this book. Yeah. Uh, Unpack that a little bit more. Why was it in the Beatitudes that you found uh, some solace, some peace? What what was it about the Beatitudes that kind of did that for you? Mm -hmm. We have this notion of of success, you Mm -hmm. know, particularly here in the Western suburbs. I call Naperville the Achievatron. It's where you start preparing (laughs) a child, you know, for the SAT at age six. Yeah. Yeah. And and we, but we live so often in the valley where success is is not only possible, impossible, but it, it's also not our calling. And the, mm. the Beatitudes make that clear. Poverty of spirit, meekness, mourning. Mm. Uh, it, it is instead the kernel of wheat that falls to the ground, as our Lord Jesus described, that, that dwells there in, in the darkness, but eventually, by God's power, springs forth in life. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. And Chris, for the Christian who is um, thinking about the Beatitudes, maybe for the first time, you've obviously titled this book, The Upside Down Kingdom. Unpack that in relation to the Beatitudes for us. 
Yeah, there's there's a counterintuitive turn in in the Beatitudes. Uh, we expect our Christian life so often to be one movement of improvement, better mm. every day in every way. That's how I thought as a new Christian. You know, I had the Bible, uh, the Holy Spirit lived within me. I have the church around me, and so life should be pretty good. But then it's not very long before we find ourselves in some crisis, in some crucible, and we say, where are you, Lord? And the, the Beatitudes provides an answer to that question. It's in those places of, of suffering, when we're be over our skis and bereft of resources, that we find the presence of Jesus in the most intimate way. Yeah. So I think the, one of the gifts that the Beatitudes gives us is it, it allows us to be honest about life's suffering and see it not as a, a, an example of, un, of infidelity. I mean, we sin, of course, and we mm. need to own that. But very often, it's our, our humanity, it's our brokenness that brings us into that place. Mm. And that's where the Lord manifests His presence to mm. us. Yeah. Uh, let's talk specifics. There might be some people listening who are not very familiar with the Beatitudes. So what is some of the, the upside down? Maybe there are chapters that you do. Maybe uh, what are some of the upside down things in this culture that we see in the Beatitudes? Yeah. I mean, if we look around us now, uh, we live in a cancel culture. People are outraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, any form of media imposes that, that spirit upon you. How do we respond to that as Christians? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, blessed are the meek. And so rather than pulling the pin out of the rhetorical hand grenade and lobbing it over the fence, what would it look like for us, particularly in this cultural moment, particularly as we approach another election year, yeah. Yeah. to to purposefully embody these virtues of gentleness. Now, to be clear, there, there's some things that should cause us to be angry. These, mm-hmm. these scammers who prey upon elderly people, yeah. you know, those, those who, who hurt children, we should be outraged. The problem, though, is when that becomes the normal mode of operation. Mm. And we're bitter, you see. And and there's everything now about media that is forcing us into that mold. That's right. Beatitudes yeah. is the corrective to that. Mm. Oh, beautiful. And Chris, who did you write this book for? Is this primarily for people who are teaching the word of God? Is this for small group leaders? Is this for everybody? Uh, tell us about your audience. As I was writing it, I was thinking of particular people in our church. I'm thinking mm. of Dave, you know, who just lost his wife, Barb, mm. and he's in grief. What does it mean to mourn? There's some intractable situations of suffering when uh, a loved one dies or we, we receive a terminal diagnosis. And we say, where are you, Lord? It's in those moments that we need the, the promise of God, that his comfort, that he's with us. And so, you know, I'm thinking of the people I serve and uh, the, the anxiety and depression and even in some cases, suicide ideation mm. that people wrestle with. Uh, I, I, somewhere I quote Michel de Montaigne, the French philosopher, who said, my life has been full of terrible misfortune, mm. most of which has never happened. You know, it's this idea <laughs> oh, wow. of constant fear of catastrophe. That's where we live. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I had regular people in mind as, as I thought about the way in which the Beatitudes provides comfort and hope to those situations. Yeah. That's great. Uh, 
Chris, thinking of the Beatitudes in the church, obviously we'll never do it perfectly, but let's say the church as a whole does better. Like we improve at living out the Beatitudes Mm. through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help people paint a picture for what the result would be. What would like the church's reputation be? Uh, What would the result in our culture be for the church if we got better at kind of embracing the Beatitudes? It would be a, a rich community, for mm. one thing. Uh, it's, it's no secret that Bonhoeffer used the Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, when he established his Confessing Church Seminary in mm. Finkelwalde. And, and he was criticized for that. Karl yeah. Barth and others said, look, you're, you're getting too monastic. This is like Catholic. And Bonhoeffer said, in this moment of history, when we're barraged by Nazism, it's coming at us through every vehicle of communication. We need to go as deep as we can. And he looked to the Beatitudes to get him there. Mm. And that's, it's, it's that uh, vision that gave rise to life together. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? We bear one another's burdens. We're honest with one another. We're, we're, we're vulnerable with one another. If we can live that way, if we can showcase that kind of shared life, it will radiate hope into the world mm. around us. And so I, it seems to me that's the, that's the first opportunity yeah. that we need to take seriously. We're talking with Pastor Chris Castaldo, author of a new book, The Upside Down Kingdom, Wisdom for Life from the Beatitudes. Chris, where can people order your book and where can they find and follow you? Yeah, the book's available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, you can follow some of the things I'm currently writing about it from my website, which is chriscostaldo.com. Wonderful. Chris, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, my pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Earlier in today's show, we talked about some of the data, like Christian data organizations, yeah. uh, Barna, Lifeway, Carrie Newhoff of what is one of those guys who kind of does a lot of research around church, around leadership, around trends, and then gives church leaders information. We sort of evaluated whether that was helpful or not, ultimately landing on that it was, but there are some folks out there who don't think it is. But I like Carrie Newhoff, and so I went to yeah. Carrie Newhoff's website and saw something that stood out to me. The danger of cynical Christianity, an urgent message for church leaders. Before we even dive in, are you a cynical person? Um, no, but this is a no, but yeah. I think it's no, but sometimes I feel like I'm becoming more cynical. Yeah. Talk. Can you, can you unpack that a little bit? Cause I, I think I am too, as I get older. <clears throat> I, I just think some of the optimism, some of kind of the wide eyedness, uh, life beats it out of you. Gosh, yeah. that sounds really depressing, oh, but it, it kind of beats it out of you. So the world we live in is the church. And mm-hmm. so when you first start, uh, work in church business, you know, in the world in your young 20s, you're like, I'm going to change the world. Yeah. This thing's going to like, yeah, worldwide revival is going to happen and it's going to happen because of my church. Yep. And after you've been in church world for like 20 years, you're like, I would just like an organization where they don't, people don't kill each other. And they, you know, like they like being with each other and we point people to Jesus and like your expectations become a lot lower. And then you add on top of it. I mean, I love doing this show, but one of the struggles of doing a daily show like this is we get confronted by the churches that are doing bad things, yep. the abuse the stuff. Toxic the, this, pastors, and I'll be honest, yeah. that's hard to do and not go, 
Not get a little cynical. What are we doing? Yeah. What totally. are we doing? And I guess also when you see people who have like that you thought were like with you and this and then they hurt mm. you or they leave. I mean, it can become. Yeah. I'm not suggesting this is a good thing. I no. think the cynicalness, particularly for a pastor, is a bad thing. Absolutely, it is. So I don't think by nature I'm a cynical person. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm probably more cynical now than I used to be. Why is cynicism for a pastor a bad thing? You just said that, and that's what I want to talk <clears throat> because about. You why lose... do you think, as even for just a Christian, why is cynicism a bad thing? Yeah, because we believe in a in a God who does miracles. Mm. We believe in a God who changes things. Yeah. We believe uh, in what's best uh, possible. And so if you're cynical, like, ah, you know— my church or right. ah, nothing's going to happen if we pray. If right. that's coming from the front, you know, like when you mm. first start, you're like, oh, if we if we just get into this season of prayer, you know, we're going to. Yeah. Sometimes you get to the point where like, just, yeah, you know, does it really matter? Does it matter? And, and that sounds terrible. But I do think if if you're a Christian who's cynical, I, I think that's a big red flag of your heart. And yeah, you need to go, totally. OK, why is why is my heart hard? Why mm-hmm. am I cynical? And then the biggest question is what do I do about it. Like, yeah. what's the answer here? If um, if you're a pastor and you notice a cynicism in you, I think you're exactly right. I mean, this is true of a Christian. I think especially if you're in leadership, I would just say like, yeah, do some like come to Jesus business with that or maybe take a step back. Like it might be time for some Sabbath rest and some delight and things like that. So Carrie Newhoff says of all people on earth. Christian should be the least cynical. After all, he says the gospel gives us the greatest reason to hope. Mm. So we should be people of hope, not cynicism. But he shares five reasons Christian leaders in particular need to urgently abandon a cynical worldview. You want to hear what they are? Yep. Okay. Here's the first one. Delighting in someone else's failure is not a fruit of the spirit. Mm. So he's connecting that with cynicism. Because there have been so many, you know, failures in church leadership. We've talked about some of this, the abuse, the things that were covered up. It wasn't just that they like sort of didn't appear trustworthy. You're like, oh, there was a system covering up their abuse. He says shock, sadness and anger are appropriate emotions to name a few. But what it seems like is that a few church leaders have delighted in the failure of certain church leaders because it, quote, proves their points or they didn't like them. <laughs> yeah. He says that's not a fruit of the spirit. That's not, not mention, from the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we've always said what else is not a fruit of the spirit is comparison. Mm. And I must said, I know people, I, it's happened in my own life. Yeah. Like, uh, somebody that you felt like you were quote unquote competition with and they, their church starts declining or they have yeah. had a major bump in the road. Yeah. Of this, and you're like, yeah, Nice. You're like, nice. Oh, good. <laughs> Gosh, should we be saying this in the microphones right well, now? I don't know. We're just being honest about our own cynicism the Lord has to redeem. I, but it has been those moments where I've gone, mm. okay, I need to get into prayer. I need to go yes. on a walk. I need yes. to go. Why would I feel like in competition? Why would I feel uh, at all? And it just comes down to not just cynicism, but like. Your own inadequacy and insecurity. Right. Insecurity totally. is the word. Insecurity totally. is that word. And and. I just think a cynical church world that doesn't believe that God's still doing miracles Mm. is in a bad spot. Just in a really bad spot. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. He also says if you're cynical, uh, linger in it long enough, uh, you'll end up with a dark edge to your leadership and then you'll produce the wrong kinds of disciples. Say that again. Yep. If you're you're a Christian leader and you're cynical long enough... That will lead to a dark edge mm. in your leadership, and then you'll produce 
the wrong kind of disciples. So essentially that trickle down effect, right? Like that as you're leading as a cynical leader and you've got that kind of darky, edgy attitude, that's going to attract a certain type of follower or that's going to form your people into certain type of followers. So um, many people have said this about leadership, but there's the old axiom speed of the leader, speed of the follower. You create not all the time, but as a pastor or as a leader mm-hmm. of a business or whatever else it may be, you are going to attract and create people like you. Yep. And so who wants to lead a church full of cynical people? Totally. Well, the best way yeah. to get a church full of cynical people is, is to, to be, be a cynical, cynical person. It was the old, yeah. uh, you know, sadly he passed away from suicide, but Darren Patrick years mm, ago, yeah. I remember him telling the story where he was talking to his wife early on in their church plant and he goes to her. Uh, I don't understand how we've gotten a church full of like angsty young men who just seem angry at the world. Wow. And she told him, look in the mirror. Whoa. And he had this moment where he said, oh, we have a church full of uh, angsty, angry young men because I'm an angsty, angry young man. Wow. And if you look at your church and go, wow, why do we have a church that is Mm. cynical and I would probably look in the edge. mirror. I would yeah. probably look in the mirror. And I would say if you've hit a spot where you're cynical and where you have that dark edge you're speaking of, it's probably time to disconnect. It's probably time to go, hey, if you're a pastor, yeah. Yeah. hey, elders, I need a month out of the yeah. pulpit. Yeah. I just need a month to like. I got to kind of get healthy I and gotta, joyful I got to get into the word. Yep. I gotta, and you know what they're going to do? I would have to think. And Good if they elders don't. elders would say yes. I would say <laughs> if they don't, I would get out of this church. But I would think they're going to go, go do what you got to do. Yeah, like, totally. Let's figure this out because you know what they don't want? They don't want a cynical, dark-edged pastor. No, so. they absolutely don't. Speed of the leader, Even speed for of the their follower. Own yeah, that's good. All right, let me share one more. You'll be unable to cast a compelling vision for the future because this is interesting. Here's what Carrie Newhoff says. Left unchecked. Cynicism is mostly about what isn't, not what could be. He says that cynicism is contrasted with passionate vision. A passionate vision is what can be. It casts clear and compelling hope. He does say cynicism can be about probability, but vision is about possibility. Mm. It's about what might work, what could work. And he says that's far more inspiring to people both in your church and without the church. Yeah, I just don't want to become a pastor who has no expectation Mm. of expectation of God primarily, but also an expectation of what God's people can do. I I would think obviously you need a job, you need money, whatever. But I would think if you looked in the mirror and you were like, I've lost all ability to have vision and dream Mm -hmm. and expectation. It's probably time to get out. Yeah. I think those are some really like important flags to pay attention to. And then in your own soul, like if you're starting to go there, do the work to figure out what's going on. Yeah, because it's you, you're right. You want to be Christians who are full of hope and especially Christian leaders that That's are right. full of hope and expectation. All right. Well, coming up next, I decided I'm going to interview Brian about the history of the common good. We're going to get the common good in retrospect <laughs> when we return. Nice. You're listening to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. If you're a newer listener, here's what you might not know. Mm. I was not always... Brian's co-host. You were one of our first guests. Yes, I yes. was one of the first guests, but Brian's original co-host was a guy named Ian Simpkins. So mm-hmm. Brian has a couple years on me, which means there's history to the common good that not all of us know. And this came up because earlier today we interviewed Pastor Chris Castaldo, 
Brian shared that he and Ian during, was it COVID? No, pre-COVID. Oh, pre-COVID. They used to sometimes do the show from his basement because they couldn't always make it up to the studio here in Elk Grove Village. And so that got me thinking, like, what are some other stories about the history of the common good that I don't know? So, Brian, why don't you just step back and tell us, how did the show even get started? And how did you and Ian even like... Oh, have I never told you this story? So... Well, I don't know if our listeners know the story. They were here at the station. uh, They were putting a new show together. Okay. And randomly... The funny thing is neither Ian nor I reached out to that. Like, I didn't even know this was happening. Okay. And so people at the station reached out to me. They reached out to, unbeknownst to me, they reached out to Ian. Okay. And talked to us about it. And, and why you and Ian? I don't know. I mean, you, I've got some personal ties. Like Marcus Brown, yes, our program director, okay. we went to college together. We both worked at WETN at Wheaton, the radio station that no longer exists. Um, yep. And so there was some of that, but... Uh, they had us, they would have us come in and do like a 30 minute basically show that would play at like Saturday morning at like eight, not together. Like I'd never met Ian other than like one time in passing. Okay. So I would come in at a random time during the week and do it and no idea what I'm doing. Right? Sure. No idea. Sure. I basically wrote out notes and just read it. <laughs> Love it. And then, uh. I kept noticing that Ian was here when I would do it and that he was coming in after me to do the same thing. Oh, interesting. And so it'd be like the first time, like, hey, man, nice to meet you. Good to see you again. Blah, blah, blah. Next time. And we started looking at each other like, so one day we just kind of were alone and I was like, are they talking to you about this? He's like, are they talking to you? Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And we came to okay. realize that like, I don't know that this is true, but in our minds it was like, okay, one of us is getting this job. One of us is. Interesting. And so- they ended up going, hey, let's – it was Marcus or somebody said they, they needed somebody to fill in for like a couple of days. Somebody was on vacation. Okay. Uh, the show before us, and they actually had Ian and I come in and do a show together. Mm. We'd never done shows before. Had no idea what we were doing. Wow. No idea. But and it was And it was fun. a two-hour show? Yeah. Whoa. Okay. And so we did the show, and we did it again, and then maybe a couple months later, we did it again. Okay. And that led to them hiring us. And wow. so, yeah, Ian and I, it's not like we were a package deal. This, that. Yeah. And then that was January of, we started in January of 19. Yes. 2019. Yep. And so you, we used to have lots of guests come in studio. You, you used to, you came in when, which book came out? It was the louder song, <clears throat> yep. which came out, I feel like in January of 2019. So I can't almost like come on right February, when probably. the book came out. Yep. Yeah. And so. Literally, our first show was the day that the news about James McDonald and Harvest Bible Chapel broke. It's the first show. Whoa. Which, as a reminder, my first show was the day that the news about Ravi Zacharias came out. That's true. And so I, um, the first segment we ever did Mm -hmm. live, I called the show The Common Ground. (laughs) And the first segment we ever did, I was like, hey, welcome to, I said The Common Good at first. It was when we went out of the segment. I was like, hey. But I said, hey, welcome to the Common Good. My name is Brian Fromm. We're glad to get, you know, and Ian Simpkins. Ian, how are you? And he just goes, uh, 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 good. (laughs) So it was funny. Ian and I, uh, you know, we got into a rhythm. But, you know, as pastors, there were times we couldn't come to the studio, like we said. Sure. And so we would do the show from that guy's basement. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, if you miss the segment, he's talking about it with a pastor's uh, church basement. A church basement, right. 
So then everything changed like the rest of the world with COVID. Mm-hmm. COVID hits and you can't come to the studio. How yeah, do you do this? Wow. And so we started um, recording. That's when they got the technology so that we could record from our homes. Okay. Gotcha. And something you and I are still able to do at times when yep. we can't come up here. Yep. But Which is great. Uh, that kind of transformed things. Ian stayed until, let's see, it was going, we had just about signed our next contract. Wow. And he called me and was like, he told me about an opportunity at a church in Tennessee. And I was like, man, you need to take that. Mm. Like, that is perfect. And But then it was like... Am I going to do this by myself? Yeah. Is this show going to continue? Yeah. You did it by yourself for a little bit, right? Couple, uh, probably two or three months while okay. people like you were being, you know, yep. then you won the next competition. And yes. you and I, did, this I is beat what pe- out everybody else. And this is what people don't know is like, you and I have some connections, but we didn't know each other Yeah, we didn't know each all. other. And then they're like, do a show together. Yeah. And so, I mean, <laughs> I know your husband a million times more than I knew you. Yep. And so, yep. um, yeah, now you and I have been doing the show since what? What was that? 21? Yes, it I mean, was. you've now been doing the show longer than Ian did. Oh, look at that. Oh, I love that. That actually makes me feel really good. I and love that. Okay, what were some of the memorable moments before I came along? Oh. I know you had a bit I know you had a big interview with Rick Warren. So that was one of the big fun ones where you're kind of like, what is going on? Yeah. We um we did it was in the basement of Wheaton College because he was in town for a um like a conference okay. on mental health. Yeah. And he was like, oh, our people here set it up so because he's on the station. And yeah. so people here set it up that we could go interview him. So Ian and I, you know, the producers came. They set everything up. We went to the basement of the Billy Graham Center. And we were told, like, got to jump right in. You've got exactly 40 minutes. He's got a tight schedule. Yep. We're like, oh, got kind of nervous. Like, okay, okay, we're ready. We go down there. And Rick Warren is like what you'd expect of Rick Warren. <laughs> Just commands a room, laughing, laughing. And was this a private room? Were there other people in the room? So there are other people from the okay. station there. And okay. his assistant was there. Gotcha. And uh, he ended up just laughing and talking with us for um, 40 minutes before amazing. we ever hit record. Amazing. So it was really fun. You know, one of the smaller moments that I'll never forget that got me like, oh, gosh, we're like, we could be doing something here was within the first month that we were doing the show. Ian and I, you know, you're, you've learned this. You don't know if anybody's listening. Totally. So the weird thing yeah. about radio. Yeah. You and I are just sitting in a room together talking and then we go, all right, see you tomorrow. <laughs> you don't know. Every now and then we do phone yep. calls or this yep. or that, but you don't. Yep. You don't know. And I remember somebody who worked at the station coming up to Ian and I and like expressing how much something we had said the day before meant to her. Mm. And like, that's amazing. I remember both Ian and I going, whoa, people are listening. Not only that, but that like it had an impact, right? Like, yeah. When I first decided to say yes to doing the show, uh, I remember telling our elders at the church, like, it gives me another venue to like make a difference and Mm -hmm. have an impact. Yeah. And I remember when that when that person said that to us, I was like, oh, like that could happen here. That's and cool. So, That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's been wild. And hopefully the show goes on for a long time into the future. That's really cool. But yeah, January of 2019. So now we're in August of 2020. Wow. Four and a half. We're coming up on five years. That's amazing. What are we going to do for our five-year anniversary? Mm. Well, uh, hopefully have year six and seven. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to come up with something. We'll have to go on a cruise no, and I don't do think the radio happening. show from the cruise. I don't think they're going to. I don't think that's in the budget. Uh, 
trip to the beach? You think that's in the budget? Nope, I do Taylor not. Swift concert? Nope, Is that in the it, budget? None of it. Not even the Wisconsin Dells that you've been looking at here. Wow. Okay. Well, I think that's that, kind of I think our five year, party. I think our five year is going to happen exactly where we are sitting. Well, I'm bringing in hot dogs or something. <laughs> hot dogs. Um, streamers nice. and hot dogs. We have to it's celebrate. It's been a fun journey. That's why we always reach out to people and be like, tell us that you're listening. Yeah, let like, us know. There's nothing better than, and it happens on a regular basis, but... I've told you I'll be at my kid's school or it happened mm-hmm. the other day. We were, we were, I was with another church and somebody makes a comment about like, oh, I was listening to your show. Yeah. And no matter, no matter how long we do this, it, that always follows up in my mind with like, oh, yeah, people are listening. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. it matters like, it's always, what we like, say. Surprising. <laughs> so reach out and tell us. We, we love to hear feedback, whether it be on the podcast or like social media. Yeah. Let us know at Common Good Talk. Thanks for that uh, retrospective yes. of the Common Good. That was fun. Hey, Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.